Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Order Up podcast. I'm Michael. Today, we'll be speaking with Hudson Reilly. Hudson is the Senior Vice President of Research at the National Restaurant Association. Hudson was our guest back in May and provided some context for what the research was showing us with regard to the state of the industry. Hudson, welcome back. Good day, Michael. Appreciate the opportunity to talk with you again. When we last spoke in May, you described the state of the restaurant industry as dire with really challenging numbers with regard to employment, sales growth, and spending. Has anything changed? Uh, what are the numbers telling you now? Well, the situation certainly definitely does remain dire, but there are a few potentially encouraging signs but there's certainly no short-term relief from the fundamental challenges over the past five months. If one looks at the total shortfall in restaurant industry sales over the first four months of the pandemic, in other words, the March, April, May, June timeframe, the estimated shortfall reached an incredible $145 billion. And unfortunately, looking at 2020 in its entirety, we're still projecting for the industry to have a sales loss approaching $240 billion. Now, dependent upon whether one looks at 2019 or 2020 as the uh, bench year against which that decrease occurs, uh, looking at it from 2019, that's a 24% decline in overall sales volume for the industry. And uh, from the projected high of $899 billion we originally forecast back in January, that would be a 27% decline. When you think about the tremendous amount of economic damage which has occurred within the restaurant industry as well to the national economy, it is a situation where the trend is gradually getting a little better. But overall, the road to recovery definitely remains a long one, easily moving into 2021 and for some indicators, well into 2022 or 2023. What do we know about profitability for restaurants as they've been reopening under new mandates associated with COVID? There's social distancing. Sometimes capacity has to be capped at 25 or 50 percent or even outdoor only uh, reopenings. How are these rules affecting profitability? Are restaurants profitable? Are they treading water? Are they operating at a loss? What, what are you seeing? Obviously, it varies pretty dramatically by segment for the industry as well as geographic location. For example, if you take an average restaurant with a million dollars in sales before the pandemic set in. The pre-tax profit income out of that million dollars is just $50,000. About a third of that sales goes towards uh, cost of food and beverage. Another third goes to salary, wages, benefits, and other expenses such as occupancy, utilities, maintenance, admin, and a host of other direct operating expenses. So in a normal situation, a million-dollar operation has a pre-tax profit income of just 5%, $50,000. Now, let's say you take a modest decline of 20% sales for that typical restaurant operation. That means over the year that sales volume drops down to 800000 The food costs and labor costs can decrease pretty correspondingly to that. 
You then add on the additional costs for PPE and other safety developments in those sites. You're talking then, even just with a 20% sales decline, of a basically loss of $28,000. So you go just with a 20% sales decline for a typical restaurant. It goes from a 5% pre-tax income down to a 3.5% loss. And some of these operations, particularly in the table service arena, are suffering declines of well in excess of 50%, 60 70% plus in some instances. So for those models, it is impossible to maintain any profitability hopes as long as the traffic levels uh, remain depressed. And so one thing that the pandemic has done is that it has really accelerated a lot of the underlying trends for the restaurant industry, which were in place pre-COVID, but post-COVID are rapidly being acted upon and utilized. A lot of that is the technology integration, the ability to do online ordering, the contactless payment. A lot of that is related to alcohol to go sales. A lot of that is related to the development of curbside options for certain table service operators. But in the end, what is holding the industry together at the moment is not only off-premises, which is carry-out, delivery, drive-through, catering, takeout, for example, but also the ability for certain operators to pivot and use their existing site for some of those options. Now, realistically, for many, many operators, they cannot do curbside because, for example, they wouldn't be in a situation would allow it. So, Just as the industry is extremely fragmented, the ability of operators to respond to this and attempt to maintain some type of revenue stream in a situation where consumers have still dramatically pared back uh, on their patronage. And, you know, for really since late February, the association has undertaken a weekly consumer tracking study, which we look at the different meal parts, dinner, lunch, breakfast, on-site and uh, off-premises. And you ask the typical American adult in the past week, have they done any of the following? So if you look at the off-premises market, there is relatively good news there overall. If you look at dinner, takeout, and delivery, for example, it's currently two-thirds In other words, 66% of all American adults report that they've had an off-premise dinner occasion in the past week. That is up four percentage points over that level in late February. Also, if you look, for example, breakfast off-premises, that's that's up compared to where it was in February. And even convenience store use and grocery store use are up from where they were in late February. However, once you start looking at the on-site patronage patterns, 
For example, you take dinner on site. That was 60% of American adults reported going on premises to a restaurant for dinner before the advent of COVID. That has dropped down to the last reading was 35%. And that 35% is an improvement from where it was in late April and and, uh, May. So what you have is a situation of the trend in and of itself for the on-site patronage is better than it was during the depths of the pandemic. But looking at it where it was before COVID started, in some cases, you're at 50% of the level that needs to be to sustain continuity. And that's not even attempting to grow sales. So on-site dinner actually is at its highest point since early March, but is still at quite a depressed level. On-site lunch is at its highest level since early March, but still at depressed levels. And then you look at the carryout and delivery, for example, dinner, it is up from early March. So the consumer has rapidly adapted to that utilization. The operators, where they can, have focused on offering those options. But when you look at still the gap between where the industry currently is and where the industry should be absent the pandemic, it is still quite a gulf. But the trend is better and in the right direction. But the fact is, until some type of vaccine becomes available and the consumer once again regains confidence to assume the frequency and spending that they did previously, it really does drive home the point of the ability for certain operators to really have to develop a new model to survive in this transitional environment. And if all of those challenges of uh, limited capacity and customers who have uh, lower ability to spend weren't enough, you know, you mentioned labor earlier, and I'm curious where we are there because, you know, for me, I, I have a restaurant uh, locally here, and they've had a sign for the past week up on the door, on the entrance, uh, indicating that they are trying to reopen, but they're having staffing issues. Uh, that sounds almost counterintuitive because we have uh, high unemployment, but there's obviously folks receiving unemployment benefits who are perhaps preferring not to go back to work as a result of that, and then perhaps uh, also fears around safety. What are we seeing with regard to the labor market and employment in the industry? Well, for example, as you well know, the association for well over a decade every month has asked operators what their top challenge is. And in normal economic times, it's the recruitment and retention of staff. However, with the onset of the pandemic, that obviously disappeared. And basically, the chief challenge became remaining in business and attempting to grow sales. So the employment situation for the first time in a few months, when you surveyed the restaurant operators about their current top challenge, about one in 10 now reported labor as a challenge, which was different than that survey results showed a couple months ago. 
So what you're talking about in certain geographic areas and for certain type operations is obviously real. And it's also important to note that industry employment overall, for example, in June, the industry added back almost one and a half million jobs. That was 31% of the national job gain. But despite the the gains in industry employment in Maine in June, the industry's road to recovery to full employment is still still considerably uh, uh, way off. The overall economy still remains down 15 million jobs from its February peak. So there are obviously a lot of individuals out there that need to work and want to work but for a variety of circumstances are not. And so the thing that will become more apparent in the industry as the years click past after this will be the increased focus on productivity in these establishments. Uh, Because as we've discussed before, the productivity of a typical restaurant in America today, the sales per employee uh, are just in the $60,000 range. And that's dramatically lower than other retail industries, dramatically lower than other capital intensive industries. And so the implementation of technologies such as, you know, the online ordering, the usage of different apps and systems to align the consumer with the confidence that the order is being processed and will be available when and where uh, they think it will be. It will occur more rapidly now than it would have without the pandemic because technology has been a real differentiator in terms of how certain operations have fared in this environment and how others have not. If you think about long-term implications of the pandemic, there's a whole host of issues associated with it that over the longer term could signify different models that will rapidly be developed. And so obviously the advent of ghost kitchens was going on before the pandemic. You do see now more brands actually executing that ghost kitchen approach. And so it doesn't mean that two to three years from now, there still won't be the traditional restaurant operations that exist prior to the pandemic. It just means that there will be a wider spectrum of business models out there that are specifically targeted not only to certain segments, but also to certain consumer lifestyles as well as wants and needs. And and a lot of those newer segments obviously are going to focus on they would prefer to need less labor and, as you said, adopt technologies that aren't so reliant on labor. So we'll see how that plays out. Now, restaurants have costs, obviously, other than labor. Suppliers, contractors, vendors are all within the supply chain. What are you seeing in terms of any kind of supply chain issues, inflation? Do you imagine going forward where restaurants will be with regard to their costs in those areas? Sure. Uh, Let's first look at uh, menu price inflation. 
Year over year now, in June, menu price inflation is running at a 3.1% rate. That was up half a percent uh, over May. Correspondingly, grocery store price inflation is really higher, coming in at a 5.6% rate. Meanwhile, overall inflation year over year is just uh, six-tenths of a percent. So for the first time in many, many years, grocery store price inflation is actually running at a higher rate than menu price inflation. So that does shift uh, in the short term the consumer perception of price value of a restaurant experience. And the fact is, when you look at what's going on with wholesale food prices, wholesale food prices year to date through June are now running at a 2.3% rate. Uh, That compares to a 1.6% rate in 2019. So wholesale food price inflation is definitely trending higher. Uh, In certain commodity groups, uh, such as eggs, beef, pork, on a year-to-date basis are running substantially higher. Conversely, certain commodity groups, such as fresh fruits and vegetables and and butter, are, are down. So there's this situation where the input cost for the typical restaurant operation are changing. And consequently, the availability of the supply chain to deliver to many operators a new focus on a different market basket uh, does come into play. And so we've always noted that the menu theme of a specific operation plays a quite large role in in their input cost. So, for example, if you're running a high-end steakhouse, you're obviously much more focused on what goes on with premium cuts of beef versus if you're running a breakfast restaurant that's focusing on, on eggs and pork prices. The fact is, though, that the supply chain, because of the decreased demand in the food service channel, Uh, There are now traditional restaurant suppliers for food and beverages that are now focusing on transitioning part of that supply chain over to the grocery channel. And it is interesting when you think about it, because we've historically said uh, when you look at the proportion of the food dollar that's spent away from home, pre-pandemic, we were talking about well over half, 51% of all dollars spent on food in America were allocated towards the restaurant arena. Not surprisingly, since the pandemic started, that ratio shifted immediately down to about 38%. At the moment, it's up to a low 40%. But you're still talking a full 10 percentage points of the food dollar which have been shifted into that grocery retail channel. And so consequently... Historically, the supply chains for grocery and food service were pretty well separate. Uh, But now you do see a greater distributor and manufacturer focus on shifting some of that traditionally food service product over uh, to the retail channel. And the the big question is, is how long does that last? And from the restaurant industry perspective, it's probably unfortunately longer than the industry would want to see.
Small restaurants like yours make our community stronger. American Express is launching a new Shop Small Spend offer to help encourage card members to shop at small businesses. Learn more about the offer and available resources for small businesses at AmericanExpress.com slash shop small. Eligibility and terms apply. What are we seeing with regard to closures? So uh, obviously some operators have been forced to close for periods of time, reopened, reclosed, and then some they've already declared that they're never coming back. Where where are we with numbers in terms of how many restaurants have we lost? All right. Well, let's again just start pre-pandemic. There were well over 1 million restaurant locations across America in the beginning of 2020. That number now has obviously dramatically diminished. And in a typical year, pre-pandemic, there would be 60,000 restaurant openings and 50,000 closures. So that was a net increase of 10,000 locations each and every year. So in a typical year without the pandemic, you're looking at basically close to 60,000 locations closing, and then you don't add on the new ones. And based on the data that has been presented so far internally and externally, it's not unreasonable that another 40,000 minimally do not reopen as a result of the pandemic. So in 2020 alone, you're talking in excess of 100,000 locations evaporating. And in the prior recession back in 2007-2009, it's interesting to note that even during that quote, Great Recession, the number of locations remained positive, although the growth rates dropped dramatically, because what happens is that many other unemployed individuals look towards the food service industry to start a new operation. So once the critical mass is is reached and consumer demand is such that new locations can start opening that number will start to grow again. But it's not unreasonable at this point to say minimally 10 to 15% of restaurant locations have and will close this year. And the question is, what happens in 2020 and beyond will directly correlate with ultimately what happens with that number. So Hudson, there's Obviously, one of the concerns with bringing customers back to restaurants is safety. Uh, another concern, though, of course, is just you know more macro-level trends affecting the future health of the, the business with regard to growth, stagnation, decline in, in real disposable personal income. What are you seeing there? It, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, we, we'll quickly go through a variety of macroeconomic indicators. Uh, let's start first with... Uh, what we call is real GDP, just an inflation adjusted uh, the dollar volume of, of uh, national goods and services. So in 2020, we estimate real GDP to decline roughly 6%. That doesn't sound like a lot. Uh, but in 19, 2019, real GDP was up by 2.3%. So you're talking in excess of a 8 percentage point swing in real GDP. And 
if you look at it on a quarterly basis, for example, the second quarter in excess of a 30% annualized decline is literally the worst quarter in national economic history uh, for a GDP decline. So in 2021, it wouldn't be surprising to have advances on an annual basis in real GDP. But the fact is, even in 2021, getting to the level of 2019, it will not happen. Now, income is is somewhat different than what goes on with real GDP. And so, for example, we tend to look at real disposable personal income, which just means inflation adjusted after tax. And income is more than wages and salaries. It can be interest, dividends, uh, rental incomes. It also includes transfer payments. So a lot of the stimulus money actually counts as income. So this year, uh, real DPI will be up in the 4 to 5% range. Uh, however, in 2021, without any stimulus or major recovery in the economy, you're basically looking at flat to maybe even uh, decline in real disposable personal income. So if there's one macroeconomic indicator which is best correlated with restaurant sales growth, it's income. And so consequently, what goes on with consumers' not only ability to spend, but how much they save versus how much they they spend, it's it's a complex equation. But in the end, one hopes to have income growth on an inflation-adjusted basis because that's really what drives restaurant sales growth. All right. Uh, last question. I'm hoping we can end on a positive note. One of the silver linings that we spoke about last time was that pent-up demand for restaurant services was at an all-time high. Uh, where is that level now? Basically, it is substantially above uh, where it was at the beginning of the year. Uh, it is down a little from uh, the levels that we recorded in, in April or May. I think if there's one bright side to the pandemic, it really has made everyone realize the important role which restaurants play in the communities. It has taught people how to use the off-premises market much more effectively and efficiently. You know, how to order online, how to use apps, how to do touchless. So these were developments which were occurring and you know, the association late last year released this great study, Restaurant Industry 2030, which looked at the major trends for the industry over the upcoming decade. And one can still go through and read that report and realize that the vast majority of those trends are still occurring. It's just that they're occurring on a much more expedited and accelerated basis. In the end, at this point, the only certainty really is continued uncertainty, but the history of the restaurant operator in the industry has always been one of resiliency, flexibility, and rapid change to meet underlying conditions, which will continue to evolve uh, in the next couple of years. So the industry, even though sales are down 27% overall, on an annual basis, it is an environment where the industry will regain the trend growth line and the switch over 
from the at-home spend to the away-from-home spend will occur. The main question is, until there is a solution to consumers feeling safe and secure in executing their traditional historic behavior, it is a rapidly changing and evolving landscape that uh, from month to month, there will continue to be rapid changes. And, you know, economic literature makes it quite clear that future growth is never a straight, smooth line. Basically, the trend line is up and there's a large amount of oscillation and vacillation along that trend line to get to the higher point of success. But the industry out of other recessions has demonstrated the ability to regroup and once again plot different course to success. Well, there's there's no growth without adversity and uh, restaurants are certainly uh, facing plenty of that. Uh, Hudson, really, thank you for your time. Well, thank you, Michael. We appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and look forward to many more discussions in the upcoming months. Thanks for joining us at Order Up, the National Restaurant Association podcast for the restaurant community. We'll update every week on Fridays. Subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform like Spotify or iTunes or visit us at restaurant.org slash podcasts. This episode produced by Dante32. Small restaurants like yours are made up of strong people who make our community stronger. Let your customers know that now is the time to support the small restaurants they love. American Express is providing card members a special offer when they shop at eligible small businesses. If your business is eligible for the offer, download marketing materials to get the word out and attract more customers. Visit AmericanExpress.com slash shop small to learn more.